Six years ago, Ellis Hammond's entire mission changed. He was a full-time college pastor with vision and passion, but broke. Now a full-time real estate entrepreneur, Ellis is the founder of Kingdom Real Estate Investors, the number one community for faith-driven leaders impacting the world through real estate investing. If you're a kingdom-minded real estate investor or entrepreneur seeking to advance God's kingdom outside the church walls, welcome to the Kingdom REI podcast, where Ellis interviews Christian entrepreneurs and investors focused on advancing God's kingdom through real estate investing. Enjoy the show. Hey, welcome everyone to the Kingdom Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Ellis Hammond. And as always, my co-host, Cameron Roy. What's up, my man? Hello, my brother. I I just now realized you and I look like we went shopping together. <laughs> That's actually so true. Our shirts so, are uh, there's almost, uh, it must be the same. Let's wear them to uh, Orlando. That'd be great. <laughs> but you must have been doing some bicep workouts because you got the short sleeve. I'm rocking the long sleeve. A little bit, a little bit. That's phenomenal. Speaking of which, guys, if you're not following Kingdom Real Estate Investors on YouTube, this is the only way to see what Cameron and I are wearing each week. And so I encourage you to go check out uh, our YouTube channel as well. And uh, Cameron, I will see you next week in Dallas. Looking forward to it. Oh, I can't wait. I love it. I guess we have the privilege um, of having Mike Morawski uh, on the show. Actually, Mike, I didn't ask you, pr properly ask you how to say your last name. And it is kind of a doozy. Did I get that right? Yeah, you did get it right. And I love the shirt. If you guys would have called me, I have one in my closet. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we'll give you a few minutes if you need to go change and we can start <laughs> this show over. <laughs> a great powwow. Well, uh, as always, have a have a privilege of bringing on experienced veteran real estate investors, folks who have been in this industry for a long time, who are doing deals, who have a lot to share from a real estate perspective, uh, but maybe more importantly, from a kingdom perspective, uh, who've been following Christ for a long time and have... Um, ups and downs with that as well. And so really grateful to have Mike on the show today, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. I, it's been a while and uh, certainly uh, been looking forward to this. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm going to, we're going to get into his story today. Uh, guys, just a little, little bit about his background. He's, per, you know, purchased, transacted on several hundred millions of real estate. He, he's a capital raiser. He's a, he's a coach. He's done a lot in sales, just a lot you're going to get from this episode. I think even his his story of kind of the challenges of, of a real estate career uh, and how to really rely and lean on your faith is going to be really important. I think especially in today's environment where, man, we got some, uh, Mike, we'll talk about this, right? We probably got some, some, some bumps and bruises ahead of us uh, for those listening, which that's going to be really important. So um, before we start, let me pray and we'll jump in. So Father in heaven, we thank you. Uh, just for this time, and I pray for all those who are listening, God, that this would be next 30, 40 minutes uh, would be a time of inspiration, encouragement, ultimately, God, that would uh, would point them closer to you, that their faith would grow stronger, uh, because I know that we need that in this uh, in these coming and trying times. And so, God, I just pray for a double portion of your spirit, uh, God, just like you gave to, to Solomon. Lord, I pray that you would give us a double portion of your spirit, your wisdom, your grace, faith today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Tell us today, before we kind of back up, just a snapshot of who you serve today and kind of activity as a as a, as a real estate investor. Hey, first thing I got to say is, you know, 300 podcasts, and this is the first one anybody's ever prayed with me uh, as we started. So um, appreciate you guys. Um, yeah, man. It's a big deal. So who do I serve today? I serve Jesus, mm. um, you know, number one. <laughs> 
Um, so if we start there and, uh, you know, I really serve the real estate investor. My goal is to teach uh, the real estate investor who's either coming into the business green uh, and wants to be in the multifamily space or the single family investor who's been involved in, in fix and flip or buy and hold for a number of years. And they know what the economies of scale and multifamily can bring. So whether they're on the active side, wanting to do the business themselves or on the passive side, where they are actually investing money with a, with a sponsor like I am. And, and you, and you're, but you're also actively growing a portfolio as well. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. We uh, uh, actually are growing a portfolio and uh, continually, that's why I said passive, you know, those passive investors that want to invest money and, yeah. and returns, you know, mid-teens. And where, where is most of your portfolio at today? Where are you guys buying deals? Florida. Right? Oh, cool. Florida. But, you know, uh, been underwriting in the uh, primary markets in Texas quite a bit, uh, probably just the last two weeks alone underwritten, maybe 25 deals. Yeah. Well, you're in the right place, man. If you like Dallas, Cameron lives in Dallas and we just closed on 200 units uh, last month. So we're, we love, we love the Dallas market mm. for sure. So I'm curious, you know, are you of the mindset like we are that bigger is better? Is that kind of why you, you coach this now? Yeah, not, not necessarily. Okay. You know, two things that I don't subscribe to anymore, and I didn't, you know, I did in my past was bigger is better and, and faster is better. Neither one makes sense. Um, you know, I grew, I grew a company way too fast uh, previously and, you know, had some bumps and bruises, as you would say, along the way um, as a result of that. So I think being methodical today, um, I think making smart purchase decisions making, especially in the changing environment we're in with, you know, interest rates being as high as they are and cap rates still being as compressed as they are that it just, it doesn't make sense to grow too big, too fast. From an asset level standpoint though, I mean, you're focused on multifamily now, but I know you had some, some time in the residential kind of what was that journey like and why have you landed though in the kind of the larger multifamily deals? So when you, when you ask what the journey was like, you mean between single family to multifamily? I mean, is, was that part of it? Kind of, did you start there and then get into larger acquisitions? I was a, I was a residential agent for about 15 years. So I had a contracting business. I'm in Chicago. I had a, I had a general contracting business and just burned out on it. Woke up one morning, looked at my wife and said, I'm done. I can't, can't do this anymore. And during, while I was in the construction business, though, I did a lot of work for a couple of large syndicators here in Chicago. So I understood the model. You know, I understood you raise private equity from individuals, you marry it with a great real estate deal, you stay in the middle, long as everything goes well, you do well. Right. Um, I went into real estate. And, you know, the thing I heard years ago from Jim Rohn was that success leaves close. So, uh, you know, I sold that contracting business, took a year off. And as an entrepreneur, you never really take time off. Um, my wife and I, at the time, we bought a, a two flat, we house hacked it, did another one. But along the way, I met a real estate agent who, you know, always made a memorable impression on me and was very successful. Went to him, said, I'd like to go into business. He encouraged me. 
I uh, went into the business and in my first nine months in the residential side, I sold 78 houses. I went on to build a team selling 125 homes a year and did that for about 12 years. Um, I, in, in 2005, I saw the market was starting to shift, not really sure what was going to happen, but I knew that I wasn't going to continue to keep the production up on the residential side that I was, was doing. So that's when I made that switch and went into the multifamily space. And it's funny because, you know, people say, how do you get started today? And I say, you know, I just thought about it for a long time. I had a dream and a goal to be in that business, to build a large company. And I just took that plunge. I went out, I bought a, a small 11 unit deal in uh, outside of Chicago. And, um, you know, I put it under contract and all of a sudden I was faced with the fact, man, I need to raise some money. How am I going to do this? Um, put a little classified ad in the newspaper and um, this is back. I'm dating myself. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's hilarious. That's great. And the, all the ad said was real estate investors wanted and my phone rang off the hook for like five days. Um, over the next seven months, I raised like almost six six hundred thousand dollars but we got that deal closed and the next one and i was off to the races um over the next 30 months i raised 18 million dollars bought 60 million dollars worth of real estate uh four thousand apartments in five markets big footprint in dallas huge footprint in the dallas fort worth market and then um built a property management company this uh, at the same time where we were managing about 7,500 units, uh, built a company pretty close to $100 million in value. So long answer to your question, but the question was, how do you get, you know, how'd you get into the, you know, how'd you make the transition? I just did it. I knew what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. And I just kind of followed the next right thing. And if I didn't know something, I asked somebody or I went and got the answer I needed to get. So I, I always did enough to move me forward. Yeah. So cheaper. I'm curious, like, you know, you, you were there early. I mean, even what you just said, a big footprint in Dallas and you bought $60 million. I mean, even think about price per door back then, it's probably a lot different than it was now. So it's like, even (laughs) knowing how many units you just said in that purchase price, I'm like, that doesn't quite add up today, but I understand things are a lot different uh, today than they were even a decade ago, right? Or 15 years ago. Like I am curious, so like you're you're looking at deals today. You're you're an entrepreneur, man. You're a business owner. You're helping other people break into this space as well, which I love. What is um, what is a a similar challenge that you or hurdle that you that you you're helping people overcome, and what's different? Does that make yeah. sense? Like what's what's evolved and what's new that you're you're like, oh, this is a different challenge today. But and, and maybe what's what's a similar one. Um, more people in the space today, you said early on, you know, um, and it, I was, there weren't a lot of syndicators out there. It seems like today that everybody's a syndicator, everybody's out, you know, so I think that, I think that there's so many people in the market trying to uh, fight for deals that it's causing prices to go up higher. You know, you talk about being a different environment. I, I wrote the book exit plan. Um, and uh, somebody read it and they called me right when they were done reading it. And they said, did you really buy that deal for a 13 cap? Now this is a deal in Dallas off of Post Oak Road. It was like 450 units. 
Um, I said, yeah, why? He goes, um, you know, we just talked about it, about the difference in times, right? Back then, that was a 13 cap. Today, I know the guy who bought it a year ago, the same deal, and it was a four cap. So what I paid $15 million for, he paid somewhere upwards of 60. So, you know, hey, real estate goes up in value. So a question for you, why'd you sell? Why'd you ever sell? What, what was the- what <laughs> That's what I was about to ask. <laughs> yeah, you know, got forced to sell, right? I mean, you know, um, just 2008 rolled around and it was like hitting a freight train or hitting a brick wall in a freight train. We imploded, um, you know, so I had this, I had this company that uh, we grew way too fast. So we were very unstable. Um, this is what, you know, the two questions you asked at the beginning, you know, um, I said, don't grow too fast and bigger is not always better. Uh, we grew way too fast and uh, very unstable as a company. So when, when the uh, economy changed in 2008 and the CMBS markets fell out and all the bad paper on Wall Street and the stock market crashed um, and all the foreclosures happened, I thought, hey, that's the residential stuff. It's not going to affect the commercial business. All those people that are losing their houses are going to need a place to live and they're going to live in our apartments. Well, um, part of that was true, but the other part was that our occupancies by 2009, 2010 had dropped way out. So our NOI had dropped and we couldn't pay the bills. So I had 38 different you know, companies, I had 38 different properties, and I had some that were performing better than others, some that were not performing as well. Um, I thought, you know, it, uh, so the whole context around this was I thought we were in a recession. A typical recession will last 17 or 18 months, 10 or 12% correction, boom, you, you're back to normal. Well, that thing lasted seven or eight years with a 40% correction in the market. Um, so how do you weather the storm? Well, I, I thought that if I took money from, from well-run companies, put, them, put it into um, poorly run companies or poorly profitable companies, that I could keep the whole ship afloat. So, you know, I had probably a dozen deals. I should have just let go to foreclosure, let some investors get hurt. But I didn't want anybody to get hurt. So I started moving money back and forth. Matter of fact, my accountant and my attorney both said, it's okay to do that. Just leave a paper trail. When the markets come back, put the money back. Well, I, I moved money back and forth. 2010 um, got to a point where, you know, things really were off the rails. Um, I wound up being indicted on wire fraud and mail fraud charges. Uh, for non-disclosure. So it was okay to move the money back and forth. Actually, business owners do that a lot, but I just didn't disclose it to my investors. So for not disclosing it to my investors, I got charged on wire fraud, mail fraud charges, and sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. So 2013, I, you know, and I always tell people, I say, look, I, I never flew private. I didn't have a big boat. I didn't buy a fancy house. I didn't have a fancy car. I was home every night for dinner. Uh, grew my kids up in the church. I, you know, had a had a great marriage, 
And I got ripped from that to live in a 12 by 12 room with three men I didn't know, nor did I like, wondering what the hell happened in my life. And how long did you serve that sentence, that term? Just under eight years. So I I went to prison in 13 and came home just when they closed the world down for the pandemic. So it was a little over seven years. Um, I was gone and, um, you know, it was life changing. Right. So I, uh, uh, I went to prison. I thought, man, my life's over. There's, you know, there's, it can't get any worse than this. And I was probably in prison about three weeks and my wife decided she was going to leave me and uh, it wrecked me. Uh, the, the joke in prison at the time was, you know, take his shoelaces because we think he's going to hurt himself. Um, and, you know, I, you guys, I, I think we all have defining moments in our life, right? And we have more than one, but we really have to pay attention to them. Sometimes it's just that small little whisper from God that, that we need to listen to. And uh, so about six weeks in, you know, I'd gotten divorce papers, didn't know, I didn't know how I'd get through today, much less 10 years. And um, I walk into gym one day and, and I always tell people, I say, look, I was just window shopping. I wasn't looking to buy anything. I wasn't looking to pick up a weight. I'd gone from running marathons to being 35 pounds overweight. I hated myself, uh, didn't know how to get through it. Um, this guy walks up to me in the gym that day and he says, Hey, don't let these people beat you. All they want to do is take from you everything you've ever known. They can take your business. They can take your money. They can destroy your, your world, turn your family inside out. But what they can't take is who you are and what you're made of. They can't take your knowledge and your, uh, desire to grow and to do something different. He goes, you can get it all back. You can get that 10 years back. He goes, look, start coming to my class every day. Start working out. You'll lose weight. You'll feel better. And I don't know what it is to this day. I don't know what it was, but it's like somebody flipped a switch. And I said, okay. I started going to the gym, started working out, losing weight. Um, wound up going to college. I got a bachelor's degree in theology. Um, I wrote two books. Um, one is exit plan, your complete guide to multifamily investing and why you need an exit plan before you buy. I wrote an ethics course. I taught real estate investing, property management and ethics in prison for six years. I was on an outreach program, went into the community, told my story to small business owners and local college students. I uh, met a professor at the University of Minnesota while I was in, uh, in prison. And he and I co-authored a paper together that we had published in the Business Journal of Ethics. It gets taught at the collegiate level today for forensic accounting and sales and marketing classes. Um, I'm home today, I'm in the coaching and training business. I teach people not to make the mistakes I made, um, how to build a business. And I got uh, recently, or last year, I should say, I got approved by the SEC to go back, be an issuer of securities, a sponsor of deals. And we're back doing deals again. Yeah, well, I'm curious, like, what was that like? Because then you got to come back out and fight the SEC again, right? To even yeah, be able no, to do this. Wasn't a fight, man. And, and you know, here's what's interesting. I never even thought about it. So we're working with a securities attorney out of Boulder on this deal we're putting together. And um, she says to me one day, she goes, hey, you know, why don't I go to the SEC and see if we can't get you approved? Hmm. I said, have at it. And we never talked about it again. Three months later, she comes back. She says, hey, look what I got. 
written letter. Uh, and, and all they wanted me to do was disclose it for a year in, in documents. And I said, damn, just tell them I'll disclose it forever. I want people to know, you know, I mean, I don't have anything to hide. I'm very transparent. And, and I don't know that I would have been, I was doing a podcast one day. Oh man, I probably was home about a year and I was doing a podcast and there were about a hundred people on this podcast and, uh, it was a meetup group. And somebody out of clear blue nowhere says, hey, are you raising capital yet? I said, no. They said, well, let me know when you are, because I don't know that I'd want to invest with anybody other than you, because you've already made the mistakes. You know what not to do. And it was like, it clicked for me. It was like, well, maybe this is something that I can do again. I find you very open, very transparent to your story, because a lot of guys could come here and not share any of this and just talk about your experience hard to kind of cover up seven years, but I, we could probably, you could probably do it though. Um, I'm curious from a, and maybe we'll start with the faith standpoint, like what allows you to be like, how did you overcome just the fear of like what others would think the, that identity of like, man, I, I am, you know, tech quote unquote behind bars for, for fraud um, or non-disclosure, whatever they want to call it. But like, feeling like a fraud, right? And, and and then being able to be transparent on a podcast like this or in business or in life, like what clicked? And I understand that story too, but like even go deeper than that. Yeah. So I think a couple of things clicked along the way, you know, probably the first five years I, I was gone, I never had any idea I'd go back, try and raise money or, and then, you know, after that, uh, I, I had, you know, really had done a lot of work on myself. You know, I had been a Christian since 1983. Um, and, but I always tell people I was a pocket Christian, right? And I pulled God out of my pocket when I needed him. I'd be in a jam, help me out of this. I, I think what happened was that, he, you know, uh, God said, man, I want your full undivided attention today. I, none of this just when you need me anymore. So I think I went through this experience where he had the ability to, to tear my cold, dead fingers off of everything that I thought was important in my life, one finger at a time. He took everything from me. I mean, even today, you know, I, I, I still have kids that don't talk to me and a brother that won't talk to me. Nothing is, nothing is totally right or perfect, but I, I believe that because of my faith and because of the journey um, through, you know, getting a degree in theology, all the Bible studies I taught uh, in prison, uh, the hours and hours in prayer, um, solitude, writing, journaling, I think that, that that the shift occurred in that, right? I don't know if that answers your question. No, no that's really good. That's really good. And the other thing that I want to ask you is like, Mike, you've lost more than most people will lose in a lifetime in terms of seven years in prison, wife, talk about your kid, your, your brother. What do you, for those who maybe are, feel like they're back against the wall, but like they haven't lost that. They haven't lost what you've lost yet. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like what, what is the, like, cause I've been there. I've been there recently. Right. Where it's like, man, hopes kind of lost backs against the wall fighting the good fight what what do you like what's your message yeah my i think my message at, at the deep core is 
you can't let your past define your future. You know, I might have been in a prison behind a wall. I might have not been able to, you know, do what what people who have liberty do, but I was free, right? I still had freedom. We all have freedom, but here's here's what happens to people. I think people get trapped in their own mind and, you know, whether it's um, alcoholism, drug abuse, gambling addictions, whether it's um, past physical, emotional, sexual abuse, whatever it is, there's, there's people that get trapped and they can't get out and they think they're stuck and they can't move forward. And I want people to understand that you don't have to stay stuck, that there's a way beyond that. Uh, you know, I have totally had to give my life to Christ and totally trust in him and, um, and walk that journey, walk this whole journey with him. Right. Um, and trust that he's got my back because I, I have no control. Right. I mean, I can take the necessary steps. I can underwrite the deal. I can talk to people about capital. I can go to contract on a deal, but I don't have any control. Right. And, you know, I think so many of us are just locked in, in, in an internal prison in ourselves that we're stuck by fear, stuck by doubt. And we don't have to let that stuff bother us. Just, you know, it's like you asked me earlier what, what the transition was between residential and multifamily. I, I just did it, right? There was no transition. I didn't think about it. I didn't write a business plan. I, I went out, I started looking at apartment buildings with a guy and I put an offer in on something. Now, I didn't do it right. And I learned by those challenges and, and needed to do the next one differently, which I did. But, you know, I think it's the journey. Well, all that you're saying, Mike, yeah. And I, like Alice, just thanks for the transparency. Like podcasts like this are just amazing. And we love people being transparent, especially if their story has a lot to do with crashing and burning and, and, and coming to Christ in a significant way, either for the first time or, or for the 10,000th time. And what you're saying about your past doesn't have to define you. It just made me think about the parable of the prodigal son. Like he just wandered off and took all of his father's inheritance, pretty much wishing his father dead. And when he came back to his father, he, he it said scripture says that he came to his senses and realized even my father's hired hands as servants are living better than I am. Surely I can just be one of those guys. And he comes back to his father and his father from a distant sees him. It says he got and ran and greeted his son and fell on his neck and kissed him. Well, back in the day, patriarchs didn't just get up and run and bare their legs. That would consider like a shameful act. And so the th only thing that could prompt a father to run to his son who squandered and shamed the family is that the entire time, all he was wanting was his son to turn around and come back. There was no get up out of the seat and say, well, this, this ought to be good. We'll see what he has to say. It was just a full embrace of the son returning, not shaming him of his past, not condemning him of what he just did, the, the treason against the family he committed. And the son ran back to his father and got around good community. And you're talking about that guy in the gym. It's just like, sometimes we just need someone to champion for us. We need a good brother or sister um, in business in Christ. And then at the end of the day, we all need the Lord um, to just have a, a better hope for our future 
that does not have to be indicative of our past. And I, I just applaud you so much. I mean, it has been such a short amount of time since you've come out of that hard season and you have done so much. And I would say God's done so much in you, but it's clear, like the, the catalyst for you was a person in the gym who just saw something in you that you probably couldn't see in yourself at the time. Yeah. Hey, I got a quick, I, I have a quick story to that, right? So um, about, I don't know, eight, nine months ago, um, that guy who told me that that day in the gym was on Facebook. And, uh, you know, I see him all the time and we, you know, chat once in a while. But he, you could tell that there was something going on in his life that just wasn't clicking for him. I sent him a message and I said, hey, you know, I, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I was in prison, you know, just a, a short time and you walked over to me that day in the gym and, and I said, you, you really helped me change my life. And, you know, a lot of where I'm at today is because of that conversation with you. He shot me back a, a message and he said, he goes, I never remembered that. And he goes, but I want you to know that I needed that more today than anything else in the world. He goes, I just have been in a terrible place and it helped me a lot. So, you know, it, it's kind of funny because- Come came, full circle. Came full circle, right? Exactly. That's beautiful, man. That's awesome. All right, Mike, uh, fire around here, man. Just because I want to ask you a couple questions about, it's fun, interesting that we started this thing with newspaper ad. Like the world has changed, my brother. Like raising money has changed, right? Like in the way that we raise money. What, what do you like? So let's talk about that. You know, you came out outside of COVID, you know, right before, right during, right before COVID, you're raising capital. What does that look like for you? Like what's, what's effective? What is kind of, what have you learned you know, breaking back into this space, raising money again, that what is different, what's working, kind of what are you even coaching your students in terms of how to do this business all over again, really in a whole different era, a different technology, technology, you know, space of technology, methods, podcasts, I mean, podcasts, dude, wasn't even a thing in 2008. I mean, I'm sure it was there, but definitely not to the rise it has had today, right? So what does that look like for you today? And because I, I want to hear your perspective because it's fresh, Right. Like you come in, it's like, oh, well, you know, like the 2012 Jobs Act didn't yeah. you know, happen while you were in prison. So give us your perspective now being in this business and, and what you find, you know, what's effective. So I, I, I'll give you a couple of comparison. I went to prison. We were on iPhone 2. I came home. We were on 12, just getting ready to, to launch 13. Um, a guy in prison came in after me and went home before me. And before he went home, he said, call me when you get out, handed me a piece of paper. Um, and I looked at it. I said, what's this? This isn't a phone number. He goes, no, that's my IG address. I said, what's IG? <laughs> you know, he goes, you'll figure it out when you get home. And, you know, so what works today? Uh, you know, first of all, I'm, I do a lot on social media. Um, I think what I'm figuring out is that you've got to figure out one medium that works and, and go make that medium work whether it's, you know, a YouTube channel or whether it's an Instagram page, whatever it is, make that medium work. You've got to talk to people. See, I hey, real quick, what's that medium for you? What are you, what are you using going all in on? Yeah. So I'm, I'm really, I got a wide shotgun right now um, between all the channels and I'm going to start to narrow that focus down. For me, it's going to be LinkedIn and YouTube. 
um, you know, because I do a couple of different podcasts and, you know, got a lot of content and keep pushing that out. Um, and then LinkedIn, just, you know, meeting people and talking to people, you know, I mean, in, in two years, I've grown my LinkedIn database, 9,000 people. I think I've had 3,000 Zoom calls, um, not including podcasts and, and things like that. So um, here's what I know. You have to prospect, right? You have to talk to people and you have to build relationships. None of this happens unless you have relationships with people. Um, you, uh, you know, I, I said earlier, I went in the real estate uh, residential side and I sold 78 houses my first nine months in the business. That's because I prospected every day. I knew that if I made 20,000 dials a year on the telephone, that I'd sell 125 listings a year. So I knew every time I picked up the phone, I'd make $8. It's the same thing with raising capital. You've got to make enough phone calls, talk to enough people, build enough relationships, have enough one-on-one uh, -on -one meetings, get to know people. People need to know you, like you, and trust you, right? And, and that's part of why I'm transparent. I want people to know everything about me. I don't have anything to hide. You don't know how many of these podcasts I get on. People go, is there anything we can't talk about? I don't know, <laughs> you know, because you, you need to know everything. So I hope that helps. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. And I, I love that, you know, it comes down, I'll tell you this, I mean, our whole tagline with King REI is your one connection away. And, uh, you know, these mediums that we have, Instagram, podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, LinkedIn, it just helps. I, I think I think we've lost that idea, which, so I love your perspective that, like, those are just modes to help you make more connections faster, eat more, you know, a lot more easier and you can jump on Zoom. But it's interesting how like folks who maybe have come into this, didn't have your experience before, miss the connection piece. It's almost like those modes are ways to avoid the connecting, right? It's like, and I, and I feel like that's the difference maker. And those who I think are doing it well are using these, you know, these platforms to make the connections because that's really what drives our business forward. And so I know I appreciate that. It's, it's a really good perspective. You know, when people don't answer the phone today, because I don't think people know how to communicate, right? I know my kids, like it's all text, right? And uh, my, you know, I have five kids and my two middle ones I haven't talked to in years, but my older one, I have a great relationship with and my younger ones, you know, we have a, a good relationship, but all we do is text. I mean, where's the where's the intimacy where's the level of communication where's the getting to know people so here's what i do i'll call you if you don't answer the phone i immediately send you a video text um because i want to i want to get in your space i want to get in your world you know and so whether i'm following up or i'm prospecting you know dialing for dollars whatever it is um i want to get in that to to that person's space so so I'll video text, I'll send an email, I'll, I'll call. That's good. Cameron, any, any, anything for the last for the fire round, man? Uh, I, no question. I would just acknowledge that video text. We learned that from a, a guy uh, who trained one of our Orlando breakouts last year. His name's Scott. And he, I was talking to him on the side and he talked about video texts for the exact reason that you were just talking about, Mike. And I can attest it works well. And I am more, I have received more call, quick callbacks from mm -hmm. sending a quick video text. I mean, it could be so simple and so quick. Hey, sorry, I just missed you. Just thinking about you. I want to talk to you about this real quick. Holler back whenever you get a chance. They feel more pressure than to call you back. 
Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike, man, how can we support you? Like, I want to make sure folks know how to get in touch with you and kind of continue to follow your journey. Uh, where, where's the best way to go do that? Yeah, sure. I appreciate that. Um, so if anybody wants to grab the book exit plan, you can um, either get that on my website or you can do a free download and just go to mycoreintentions.com forward slash free and you can download a copy um, for yourself. Um, you can reach me at mike at mycoreintentions.com and I invite anybody to, to reach out to me. I love the network. I love to talk to people. Uh, if you have questions, if you're on a journey and you need guidance, help, direction. I'm more than willing to spend some time with you. So awesome, man. Well, again, we appreciate uh, just your your support here showing up, showing up powerfully, uh, showing up transparently. So we're grateful for you, man. Wish you the absolute best uh, in this next season, brother. Yeah. And don't forget anywhere on social media, you'll find me too. Love it. Guys, you know where to go find Mike. Appreciate all your love and support. If you enjoyed this episode, listen, go share this, screenshot this, put this on LinkedIn, put this on Facebook, tag us, let us know that you enjoyed this show. Appreciate your support. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, just because the show's over doesn't mean the journey is. Listen, if you are a faith-driven real estate professional or investor, then you'll want to go to the kingdomrei.com to learn about our mastermind. If you're interested in investing alongside me, in alternative investments like multifamily apartment complexes, then head to ellishammond.com to learn more about that. Cheers.